0: i can't remember the last time epiphany was on a sunday so i don't get to preach on uh, epiphany too often uh, so it's a privilege to be able to do it we switch gears today from in the advent christmas epiphany cycle we move now from a celebration of the presence of christ to the church during christmas to the celebration of the manifestation of Christ to the world. Epiphany in Greek means manifestation or showing, and it means that we now see the Savior and his work to have universal significance for Christian people. Uh, That is what we believe about epiphany. So in my sermon, I'm going to say a brief word about the Four affirmations which carry us now really through the whole of the year. But during Christmas and Epiphany, I mention them a lot because these are some of the things we carry with us, certain internal affirmations about how we understand uh, the significance of the birth of the Savior for us as human beings. So we affirm the goodness of our humanity. We affirm the Uh, belief that each of us can achieve the highest of our human potential when we're centered in God. We believe that it is possible and affirm that Christian people can be joyful even in the midst of circumstances that are baffling or just plain uh, nonsensical. And finally, we celebrate the affirmation that Christian people are to be peacemakers, that that is the central uh, work that we understand ourselves to to be engaged in. Not merely laboring for the absence of war, but the way in which we understand peace, both in external corporate terms and in internal spiritual, emotional, and mental terms. Why that is so important. So I'm going to preach on all of the readings from Isaiah, Ephesians, Ephesians, And from Matthew's Gospel, because there's a thread that runs through these that's very important. Christmas and Epiphany are theological feasts. They're not uh, celebrations of uh, literal history. You know, sometimes when I get into conversations in uh, some circles, there'll be people who aren't uh, particularly uh, part of any faith tradition. And they say rather triumphantly that, you know, Jesus really wasn't born on December the 25th. No kidding. (laughs) How many times do we have to go over this? You know, no, right? We know, we know. But what we have to do is to say that there are some theological affirmations that come into the picture and that Christian people certainly the writers of the New Testament began to look back on their own sacred literature prior to the New Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and said, you know, if we'd have read this correctly, we would have understood from our faith perspective just exactly what is being foretold here. And we have one of those readings from the book of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60 today. Remember uh, uh, this cycle during Advent and so on. I've talked a lot about the return from exile so that we understand the importance of the return from exile as part of the understanding of the people of the covenant in terms of God's work and God's future saving work. And so the big saving act after the um, liberation from slavery in Egypt and the move into the promised land for the people of Israel the great salvific work of God was the return from the Babylonian exile in the 500s BC the coming back from Babylon into Jerusalem with the ability now to rebuild the city the ability to rebuild the temple and an affirmation that they have learned from their past mistakes and they don't intend to repeat them. So that we're seeing today in this reading the return from exile and the implications of this are enormous. Jerusalem will become a commercial center again. Somebody said at the sermon discussion group earlier, what in the world does it mean to be covered with camels? You know, these things are hard to figure out, aren't they? But the most important thing that's embedded in this reading is not only are the people of the covenant coming back, the Gentiles are coming back. And that for the prophet Isaiah, the affirmation is that God's saving embrace is for everybody. So this text and Paul's reading from Ephesians and Matthew even is about Return from exile, but it is also about inclusion as being at the center of our self-understanding. So Isaiah sets us up in this way for the theme. It's kind of the predicate for the return from Babylon. Now the Christians are going to look at this text and they're going to say, you know, return from Babylon is important But for us, we see the completion of the circle of the return from exile in the person of Jesus Christ, in the infant Savior. And we're going to see now that there has been a new light shed on our understanding of what God's saving work is all about. And mostly, one of those things is going to be the realization that each one of us has a part to play in God's plan for salvation in big and small ways. So Isaiah is letting us know about this and it gives us the chance to move to Ephesians. Paul says, In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it had been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ through the gospel. Reginald Fuller, one of the great biblical scholars in our tradition during the 20th century, uh, said this about this passage. The letter to the Ephesians was written at a time when the apostles' work was complete and the unity of Jews and Gentiles in the church for which he had striven throughout his apostolic career, was an accomplished fact. Matthew, too, was a beneficiary of this achievement, even if his view of the law is very different. And it is precisely because of Paul's success that this evangelist can use the story of the Magi to symbolize the universality of the gospel. What this means is that a major theme of epiphany is that through the processes of making Christ manifest to the world, we see in Christianity the importance and centrality of inclusion. Paul labored with this and said, I realize now the Gentiles can and must come in. And they have come in. So we're going to go to Matthew, a Christian Jewish rabbi who is the pastor of a Christian Jewish synagogue that is now 80% Gentile. So how is he functioning? And what's he doing about this? So the story that he tells us in this narrative about the visit of the Magi, who, by the way, are Gentiles, that's the whole point of this, they come from uh, away from Jerusalem's precincts. They come to worship the infant Jesus and they represent the presence of the Gentiles. Matthew, for obvious reasons, is not going to hit too heavily on the theme of their Gentile origin. But they're coming now to worship the infant Jesus. So here's what Matthew is at pains to do. This is what he wants to do in this passage the first thing is that he is presenting once again the primitive preaching of the church about Jesus' birth from Davidic descent. And what that means is Jesus is born now in Bethlehem, which is the same place King David is born from. Born. And that he is connected to the... Why is that important? Because the messianic yearnings of the people of the covenant were that we are going to see a return of the halcyon days of Israel, of King David and King Solomon. And King David is from Bethlehem and Jesus is from Bethlehem. And he's going to situate them so that Mary, the holy family, will now, after this story, be able to go into Egypt and they will come out of Egypt after it's safe, therefore modeling Moses and the people of Israel coming from slavery into the promised land. So we see this repeated. And Matthew was presenting to this the primitive preaching of the early church, the Kerygma, if you want to use the fancy term in Greek. He also reproduces a tradition that Matthew and Luke both have that Jesus's birth took place at the end of the reign of King Herod. He wants to do this uh, for the chronological purposes. He also uh, reproduces a folk understanding or a folk memory that Herod's character and it was uh, psychopathic. And he was fearful of usurpation of his throne. You know, he was a bit paranoid People who worry about, sometimes you're not paranoid, though people really are after you. So we always have to sort that through, don't we, when we think about it? But Herod had that reputation uh, and so forth. He also wants to reinforce the Hellenistic, the Greek belief that wisdom comes from the East. And where do the three magi come from? They come from the East. And he then reproduces the fact that the star, which he speaks of, is a symbol of the Messiah. We see this in Numbers chapter 24 in the Hebrew Bible. And when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, we see that in the writings of the Qumran community, the star was understood as a symbol of the Messiah. So Matthew is putting together a cohesive narrative about the origins of the Savior and his necessity for the bringing into reality all of the messianic yearnings of the people of Israel. It's a powerful tale. So in these three readings, we have had return from exile, the completion of the circle, the understanding that the inclusive work of God has been present to the people For a long, long time. We see that in Paul, in the congregations that he founded, he became convinced and advanced the view that this message was not just for the people of the covenant, but was for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles not only are invited in by the time of the writing of Ephesians, they are in. And they're part of this. What joins these disparate communities? Next week... We will celebrate the thing that does. And that is baptism. Baptism is full inclusion into the body of Christ. And in baptism there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. We are all one in Christ. And the liberating effect of that on the ancient peoples was enormous. And their belief in God's inclusive work continues. And finally, through Matthew, we have an understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic yearnings of the people. So this week, give thanks for being part of a faith tradition that now advances the view that you have a responsibility and a privilege to advance the purposes of the kingdom of God, to make manifest the mighty works of Jesus Christ in your relational life. And you can feel now that great sense of serenity because of God's saving work in you, because of God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And by virtue of that, you have the tools to do the work. Amen.